Hello, listeners, and welcome. My name is Dark, and I'm your host for the Strong Women Strange Worlds podcast, where we highlight stories written by women and other underrepresented gender identity authors of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Tonight, I have award-winning author and fellow Canadian, Kate Hartfield, and she'll be reading a segment from her new novel, The Embroidered Book. But first, let's spend a few minutes and talk with Kate. Welcome, Kate. I'm so glad you could make it to the podcast tonight. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the genre you write in. Sure. Uh, So I've been writing science fiction and fantasy for Oh, about a decade now. Well, longer than that, but I've been published for about a decade now. And um, I write a lot in historical settings. So I have, uh, my first novel came out in 2018. It was called Armed in Her Fashion. It was a historical fantasy novel from a small press. And uh, then I had a couple of novellas come out, time travel novellas called Alice Payne Arrives and Alice Payne Rides uh, from Tor.com. But my newest book is called The Embroidered Book, and it's a historical fantasy Um, about Marie Antoinette and her sister Charlotte, but with a small twist in that they are magicians, secret magicians. Uh, And it's a big historical fantasy novel that uh, is out, um, came out in February in the UK and some other countries, and the uh, US-Canada publication date is uh, May 24th. Nice, and I did get a chance to, to listen to your reading, and it really reminded me of how interconnected all the, the major royal families were back in that era. Yeah, when it starts out, it's um, the, the two girls, Charlotte and Antoine, who will become Marie Antoinette. They're still in Vienna uh, with their family, and, and their mother, the Empress, um, is marrying off all the children to try and secure uh, the alliances and, and try to keep peace, because uh, there was not a lot of peace going around in Europe in the 18th century. Uh, so that's uh, that those family alliances and those marriages uh, are, are a big part of the book, for sure. So we'll give it a listen. And then when it's over, we will come back and we'll speak more with you. Hi, I'm Kate Hartfield, and I'm going to read from the first chapter of my novel, The Embroidered Book. If only Antoine could find a love spell, a potion, a ribbon, a ring. With the right magic, she'd open Mama's heart and save her sister from marrying the Beast of Naples. It's not as if the Empress Maria Theresa sovereign of half of Europe, is incapable of love. She loved Papa so fiercely that she tallied every minute she spent with him in her diary. And after Papa's death, the year before last, Mama loved her daughter Mimi enough to let her marry the man of her choice. Charlotte says that Mama was just relieved that Mimi did fall in love with a man, since her only romance before that had been with her sister-in-law, but Charlotte is uncharitable. It is undeniable that Mama shows no signs of bending when it comes to Josepha. Josepha must go to Naples. It has been decreed. Bella Garant Ali to Felix Austria Nube. The family motto. Let others wage war. You, lucky Habsburg, marry. Even Antoine, who has not studied much Latin, knows Nube is in the imperative. At her sigh, Mama looks up sharply. Mama has brought Antoine and her sisters to do their needlework in the porcelain room today. All the unmarried archduchesses, except for pretty Liesel, who is away visiting cousins. The remaining girls work furiously, silently, like mice trapped inside a teacup. Shadow-colored plaster vines climb creamy walls on indigo trellises between masses of gold-framed drawings. 
Josepha is 16, which is very grown up, but she looks terrified. Her eyes go wide at Antoine's sigh, but she doesn't lift her head. She pokes her needle into the cloth in her lap. Charlotte is slightly less grown up at 15, but she looks angry. Dear Charlotte, she's the only one who's a match for Mama, and she thinks Mama hates her for it. But hasn't Mama said she plans to send Charlotte to marry the heir to the French throne? The most important of all the alliances? Only Charlotte could manage that, because she's just like Mama, although Antoine would never tell her that for fear of the look that Charlotte would give her. Antoine, at eleven, is still young enough to sigh and get away with it. She should be more prudent, though. Everything depends on Mama's love. Aren't you worried about your performance tomorrow? Mama asks Antoine. No, Mama, she says with her best smile. I've practiced and practiced. I just hope the ambassador likes it. The Neapolitan ambassador. The man who wants Josepha to marry his horrible king. Don't frown, Josepha, murmurs Mama. Your forehead. Josepha smooths her expression, but her eyes go feral, like the cats the groom chased away from the stable last year. She stares at the cloth, unable to see where the threads went awry. You've pulled a thread clear through, Josepha, Mama says. Ah, oh, thank you, Mama. I don't know how I didn't notice that. Distraction is not a luxury we can afford, says Mama. She sips her coffee out of a cup, the same colors as the walls. Mama, as a young woman, drank coffee in secret, defying her father's ban on the drink during the wars with Turkey. Now Mama drinks coffee openly because she is the empress and can do what she likes. Only she will decide what can and cannot be done within the walls of Shenburn Palace in the year 1767, including everything her unmarried daughters do and think. Josepha, Mama says, I suspect you're still nervous about your upcoming marriage. You should accept God's will. Pray for the strength to do so. Yes, Mama, says Josepha. Her face goes white. Charlotte coughs. You have an opinion, Charlotte, Mama looks at her. Say it plainly if you do. I will have no coffers and tutters among my children. Charlotte looks at the white gloves in her lap, at the tiny knots of white silk thread in the monograms. I have heard nothing good of King Ferdinand of Naples. People say he is a monster. He is a sixteen-year-old bachelor king, says Mama. Of course he is a monster. His whole life he has been surrounded by flatterers and... and Italians. He needs a good Christian wife to keep him away from the brothels and turn his mind toward his responsibilities, that's all. And we need Naples on our side. Why me and not Amalia? Josepha whispers, her face red. She is stronger than I am, and older. She's downright terrifying. Ferdinand refused her, Mama retorts. He doesn't want a wife five years older than he is. Not even Liesel, despite her beauty. Which is all to the good, as your brother and I have several possibilities in mind for Liesel. Anyway, Amalia will do for Parma. We must all do our duty, Josepha. She pauses and raises one formidable finger. The current Empress of Russia began life as a shabby daughter of a shabby soldier in a shabby town. But her mother made her a good marriage, and now Catherine rules an empire. Catherine rules because she had her husband killed and seized his throne for herself, Charlotte says with a little smile. Well, her mother replies with a wave of her hand, Russians. For Mama, it suffice to say Italians or Russians to explain events in other lands. 
and she would not have a throne to seize if had she married some local count's son who called her pretty. Mimi married the man she loves, says Charlotte, quieter and without the smile. Why test Mama? She'll only anger her. Antoine holds her breath. Nobody speaks for a moment. The only sound is thread moving roughly through muslin. Nobody disputes, least of all Mama, that Mimi has always been Mama's favorite. The circumstances were different, Mama mutters, her voice sinking so low that Antoine stops pulling her thread to hear. We need Naples, and Naples has a king of marrying age. Josepha will be queen of the lower half of the Italian peninsula and Sicily besides. It's not such a terrible fate. Charlotte lifts the white gloves she's been embroidering and looks at Antoine pointedly. Charlotte has been insisting on trying an enchantment to change Mama's mind. Trying to direct Mama's thoughts seems awfully dangerous, and Antoine has been arguing against it. But what choice do they have? If only Antoine could find a love spell. She starts to sigh again and realizes halfway through and tries to stop it, but it turns into a cough. Goodness, Mama says, dropping her embroidery into her lap and raising both hands to God. All my daughters are coughing today. I'll have the cooks prepare my thyme tea for all three of you tonight. We can't afford any more illness in this family. The first death, Charlotte remembers, was her brother Charles, smallpox. He was the same age Charlotte is now. He made desperate, horrible jokes right to the end, and she wishes that wasn't how she remembers him. Not long after that, their governess, Countess Erteg, was murdered. The next death was her sister Johanna. Johanna and Josepha were a pair, just as Charlotte and Antoine are. There are so many siblings in the family that their ages stretch over two decades with ten-year-old Max at the bottom. And there are some gaps from deaths, so the children tend to be closest to one or two of their siblings who are nearest to them in age. Johanna and Josepha did everything together and were always merry. Johanna didn't even seem to mind being betrothed to Ferdinand of Naples, but then she was young and Ferdinand hadn't yet made his reputation as a beast. The year after Charles died, smallpox took Johanna, two days before Christmas. Josepha took it hardest. Since that time, she's never looked anything but afraid. And now she's heading off to Naples in her sister's place if Mama gets her way. The next death was their father's. Two years ago, a messenger came to say Papa had died, suddenly of a stroke, far from home. Their brother Joseph lost both his wives to smallpox. The first he passionately loved, while she passionately loved Mimi. The second wife, poor woman, he did not love at all, and now she lies in the family crypt too. The girls are powerless over death. But Mama was not. When Joseph's second wife fell ill, so did Mama, but Mama got better. Let Antoine believe it was the ribbon enchanted for mending that they put under Mama's pillow. Charlotte knows. It was sheer stubbornness, and when the empress heard that her daughters had been crawling under hedges in the garden, looking for dropped coins for sacrifices, she declared that Charlotte was an unfortunate influence on her younger sister. From then on, they were to see each other only at dinners, or with other family present. Different governesses from then on, and different tutoring sessions, and rooms at opposite ends of the children's wing. They found ways of coping of meeting in secret at night to talk about magic. And I'll stop there. Thanks very much. That's from The Embroidered Book, and I'm Kate Hartfield. Adding magic to any story makes it more fun. At least I think so. 
and I can only imagine the trouble these two girls will get into. But for now, let's chat with Kate a bit more. You tend to write a lot of historical fiction or fiction set in a certain period. What is it that draws you to to these eras? I think it's partly because I'm a speculative fiction writer um, as well. And and to me, the past is kind of inherently speculative in a lot of ways that, you know, we, we make up stories about it and we imagine it um, and we have a lot of information that we use to inform our imagination, but we can't ever go there, you know. Um, even even the past that we've lived ourselves, you know, the memory is reconstructed every time we we have it. And uh, so I think there's something about that that I find kind of uncanny and interesting. Uh, the fact that uh, that history is part of the present as much as it is part of the past. And uh, so the, the title of the embroidered book um, is a bit of a nod to that, to the idea that we're always embroidering and re-embroidering and pulling out threads and, and changing our idea of the past. So I think that's one of the reasons that I'm continually called <laughs> to write uh, <laughs> historical settings. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things too, where, uh, you know, the next idea could be on a spaceship. So who knows? But so far, um, historical settings definitely seem to be my most comfortable milieu. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're comfortable with it, stick with yes. it. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that inspired this novel? Yeah, um, a couple of things. I think like a lot of novels, it came together from different sources, you know, a few different things fed into it and, uh, and all coalesced one day. And, and uh, I wrote my agent an email saying, you know, I have this idea, it's a little bit ambitious, you know, <laughs> which was an understatement. <laughs> um, so I think the, the things that sort of um, triggered the idea early on was uh, reading Marie Antoinette's biography by Antonia Fraser. There's a little line very early on where she talks with her sister Charlotte and the fact that they got into so much trouble as children that they had to be separated. And uh, this really intrigued me. And I thought, you know, like what kind of trouble could they have been getting up to? And, and being a speculative fiction writer, thought that I had was, well, it must be magic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I had a little seed, you know, from that. And and I was also just really interested. I have a degree in political science and I used to be a journalist. And so I'm very interested in politics. and. I, I think I was just very interested in reading about 18th century uh, women, powerful and privileged women in 18th century Europe and um, how many of them there were and uh, what a huge influence they had on, on history in that century. And a lot of these stories I either hadn't learned about as a kid or um, in some cases as Marie Antoinette, you know, I'd learned about it, but it was very superficial. It was sort of a, a very cartoonish uh, history. Um, so the more that I read about it, the more I wanted to retell the story with a speculative spin, which kind of allows me to say, look, this is, I'm not saying this is what really happened, but this is a different way of looking at the stories that we think that we know. Nice. As an author who writes several different genres, is there one that you prefer over the others? I, I do gravitate to historical fantasy a lot. Um, I've written time travel. Um, and then in short fiction, I tend to play around quite a bit. So, um, you know, in short stories, I'll, uh, I'll write everything from straight ahead mystery story to uh, science fiction to ghost stories, um, all kinds of things. Yeah, so there's not uh, any one thing that really draws me. In. So far, all my ideas for longer work for novels have been uh, historical fantasy. And that's uh, what I have in the idea hop that for at least the next few years. What do you find is the most difficult part of writing in all these different genres? I think uh, one of the issues that I have is because I tend to bounce around a lot with setting. So um, I'm continually researching different settings. And, uh, you know, right now I'm working on 
um, a book that I'm writing uh, set in the Assassin's Creed video game universe, uh, which is coming out in August 2022. And uh, that one is set in the 19th century. So I'm researching 19th century stuff. Um, and of course, I just got finished writing this book set in 18th century France and Italy, um, which was the embroidered book. Uh, and I have some other projects on the go that are uh, end of the Roman Empire, Middle Ages. Um, you know, it's something that I'm working on in the, in the Tudor area. So, or the Tudor era, I should say. Uh, so even though... Um, you know, I tend to write mostly Europe and North America. The, the fact that I jump around in, in different settings when it comes to time means that I'm continually researching new things and I can't really rely on my research to do the next thing. But that's all right, because I really love research and uh, that keeps it interesting for me. Research is a writer's best friend. What is the best thing you like about research? And have you traveled down any rabbit holes? Yes, many rabbit holes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I have... Uh, I think, you know, they can be, um, they can be obviously a, a problem for productivity. You know, when you, when you encounter something and you look up and it's been an hour and you haven't done any work because you've just been reading about this thing that has nothing to do with your project. Um, I think we've however, all done that. I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a common experience, but I, I do think sometimes it's worth going down the rabbit hole a little bit because, you know, you find really interesting things and it, it sort of, bounces off your imagination in different ways. Um, actually, my first novel started out as a research rabbit hole for a different novel that I was working on. <laughs> so my first published novel, um, Armed in Her Fashion, came about because I was looking for the names of canons for a different novel that, that has never been published yet. And I was just looking up these names and it, it led me, one thing led to another, and I ended up researching um, medieval Flemish folklore and, uh, and that became a novel. So I do try to let myself find those weird facts and the things that I never would have known even to look for. Um, and uh, they can be, especially when you are writing um, historical fantasy, you know, the truth is stranger than fiction a lot of the time. So finding those things that you never could have made up because, uh, you know, real life is just the weirdest fantasy writer. Uh, that's always lots of fun. Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. How do you like playing in someone else's backyard? That's been really fun. It's been a new experience for me. I've done a little bit of video game writing and um, you know, some collaborative work, not very much, but I haven't written a lot of uh, tie-in stuff like that before. Um, so that was a new experience, um, but it's been really cool. And it's nice to have, you know, those constraints a little bit that you have, uh, you kind of know where you can, uh, know as far, as far as you can go with the story and you understand the, the basic rules of the story before you even begin, even though it's, it's kind of a, a flexible universe because, you know, for those of those who don't know, the Assassin's Creed video game universe um, covers two different factions all throughout human history um, and their, uh, their sort of competing interests. And within that, um, within that matrix, you can write a lot of different stories. So there's a lot of room for creativity. So, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't find it restrictive. I found it really interesting to have somebody else say okay look here are the basic rules and you know find a story uh to to fit the bigger story in this uh so it's been a lot of fun is anything that you're going to be writing in this story will it be canon yes yeah and i don't i probably can't say anything about the details um yet but um yeah it is it is all going to fit inside the the canon um of Assassin's Creed. So yeah, there's nothing in it that contradicts what anybody who knows the video games would, would already know for sure. I would be really nervous because the fan base for this particular game is huge. Yeah, yeah, I have definitely been thinking about that. So that'll be a new experience because you definitely feel a bit of a responsibility that people already love this thing. And um, I definitely wanna 
give them something that they'll like. So yeah, it'll probably be a little bit nerve wracking <laughs> when the book comes out. I envy you. I do not think I could I could write for something as big and as popular as Assassin's Creed. I would just be a nervous wreck the entire time, second guessing everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it sort of helps to, you know, take the take the rules and take the overall outline that I worked on with my editor and uh, and then just sort of think about it as a book, you know, and, and not think about it during too much during the writing process of of that fandom. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, what our friends who write Star Wars books go through because it must be, you right? know, that fandom is, uh, is uh, you know, very um, attentive and very passionate. So yeah, it would be uh, quite the experience, I'm sure. Very good choice of words. <laughs> and you got a lot of help from, from your editor, your agent, and, and the others who have created in this world. So that probably yeah. takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, definitely. It's a team effort for sure. And, um, and I think that that's true of, of any book, you know, with the embroidered book, uh, I had a wonderful editor, Jack Brennanson at Harper Voyager, who shepherded the story and who knows it inside out and, um, you know, really guided it to its final form. A wonderful copy editor and proofreader who saved me from continuity errors and you know because when you have a big historical book like that it's uh it's so easy to have somebody's age be wrong or you know some historical fact has slipped from one chapter to the next and all of that so I'm sure that you know I'm sure there are errors that got through I haven't heard of any yet but I'm sure that there are eagle-eyed readers who uh who have caught them already but you know to whatever extent we managed not to get too many errors in um it was definitely a team effort. So while I was checking out your web page, I clicked on that little tab that said games and mm -hmm. was pleasantly surprised to see the interactive game that you have connected on there. That you connected. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> the link to the, uh, the link. Games Thank project. you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've written two projects for choice of games, um, which is a text based interactive fiction. And uh, the first one is called The Road to Canterbury. And it's um, the idea is, is that you're a pilgrim in the 14th century and you happen to be going on pilgrimage uh, along with one Geoffrey Chaucer. And uh, it is uh, because it's interactive, you, you know, it's, you read a, um, a few paragraphs and then you make a choice about what's going to happen next. And so you can affect the storyline and, and your character and all. And the second one that I wrote for them um, is called The Magician's Workshop. And that's based in uh, Renaissance Florence with magic. So The Road to Canterbury is actually not speculative in, in any sense. Like it doesn't have any fantasy or science fiction in it. It's just historical. You know, there are a few little stories that people tell along the way. But other than that, it's, uh, it's not very fantastical. But uh, The Magician's Workshop is, is definitely fantasy. I love those stories because it's not set in stone. You can change the outcome with each decision. Mm -hmm. That must have been very difficult to put together and write. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of work to do one of those projects. And, um, you know, mine are, are pretty big. Um, they're 185,000 words each about that. I think one of them is, they're both in that neighborhood. But on any given playthrough, the, the player only encounters about a novella's worth of, of content. So maybe about 30,000 words of content. So it's just a lot of text that any given reader or player will not encounter. But there are some choice of games projects that are um, even quite a bit bigger than that. So it can take quite a while to write. I think each one of them took me probably about a year and a half, all told. Um, you know, I was doing other things at the time because I tend to have a lot of things on the go at once. But uh, they were my main projects. 
during that time. So they were lots of fun. But for that reason, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't got one on the go now because they just uh, they do take so much work to do. I can believe that. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few minutes left. Let's have a little bit of fun. Sure. Now you're Canadian. Do I you am. like pineapple on your pizza? I do like pineapple on my pizza. Actually, my favorite pizza is a weird combination. I'm vegetarian. So my my favorite pizza is mushroom, black olive and pineapple. But I haven't had it in years because I never order it. So I order it again. I usually just get the lazy choice and say, oh, I'll have a vegetarian. But uh, yeah, I used to order that all the time. And and, uh, yeah, I'm I'm one of those pineapple people for sure. As am I. (laughs) <laughs> I had it once and I've been hooked on it ever since. And I can't find anyone else in the family who likes it. <laughs> yeah. Polar bear or goose? Hmm. I don't know. Geese are pretty scary. They're, they're pretty aggressive. I mean, polar bears are too, but geese are definitely are. Yeah. I mean, I think with a polar bear, even if you end up dead, at least you've been up close and seen a polar bear. So I'm going to say polar bear. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for this interview. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much. And your Assassin's Creed book comes out in August of 22? Yeah, August of, of 2022. So yeah, it's called The Magus Conspiracy. And um, it's, yeah, it's out in um, August 22 from Aconite Books. And the embroidered book is, uh, is out the spring. Uh, May is the publication date for, the, for North America. I've seen the cover of it and it's just beautiful. It is. It is gorgeous. Andrew Davis, the cover designer, did a wonderful job. Um, I can't imagine a better cover. And I know that it's it sold many copies on the strength of the cover alone. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> well, I hope we can talk again soon. Maybe when you get another book out, we can do another interview. Absolutely. Awesome. Pet your kitty for me and you have a great evening. Will do. Thanks so much. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The powers that be were not kind to Marie Antoinette, and the myths and legends that surround her have solidified her place in history. But it's nice to think that Kate has endowed this beautiful woman with a new story, and gives us a new dimension of a woman who came into being during a very turbulent era. Thank you listeners for joining me tonight, and be sure to check out our website at www.strongwomenstrangeworlds.weebly.com for more strong women and other underrepresented gender identity authors. Good night.